be boundless hi welcome everyone to the next session of be boundless so if you recall be boundless is the philosophy of life it's about being positive every moment of your life being the best version of yourself through your life and maximizing every moment of your life so we are going to talk about different qualities which make you successful and happy and resilient in life uh, today we'll be talking about uh, resilience which i believe is one of the most essential components of happiness and success in life so i have with me shantanu hi shantanu how are you hi ramji how are you doing you're looking very shant today <laughs> yes i am i am uh it is a good day but uh, that actually brings me to uh the point that we're bringing up today you know last time we talked about uh you said you were the happiest person you'd ever met in your life and uh we talked a lot about that and what that meant and you know we touched a little bit throughout all of our episodes so far on some of the struggles you've had but uh what led you to become the happiest person you know what were those those moments so i suppose um um happiness was something which i used to feel once in a while whenever i achieved great things etc but the one thing i have realized is that when things are going well for you and um, each of your goals get achieved comfortably that's not when you think of happiness because it sort of comes automatically right and you never think of building has happiness in your brain systematically it's only when things go completely out of whack and everything goes out of the window all your successes go out of the window and you're struggling in life that you figure out what are the coping mechanisms which can get you out of that morass that you're in and hence actually for me this journey towards becoming the happiest person i have ever met started with each of the setbacks that i've had in life and which suddenly hit me one after the other after the other at some incredible speed at the age of 34 right and mm, so mm. then i really built up these coping mechanisms and today i realize that it is those coping mechanisms which i un- subconsciously unconsciously put in place which really made me the happiest person i have met so today i can say that any downturn in life any setback in life i'm able to bounce back instantly because of these coping mechanisms and which makes me incredibly resilient right right and uh would you mind sharing with us some of those experiences what gave you that resilience right so this is um this is one whole book by the way <laughs> <laughs> yes go buy plug it in plug it in shameless please <laughs> i buy from ouch books it is a book about resilience and in fact honestly i mean it's a very humorous yeah yeah no please go read it i've read it it's a great book so it's a humorous book right i mean at the end of the day it's a humorous book and the way it is handled certain downturns in my life people find it inspiring and i've been told a lot that it's direct from the heart it's inspiring it is uh incredibly humorous so i'm glad that it if people did find it humorous but when i went through it it was not always humorous and i had to find humor in the situations i was in so i had a really successful first 34 years of my life life went like a breeze uh, coming from a small village in kerala studied in malayalam medium government schools 
in my school there were i think about 500 students and uh, every year the pass percentage in the school was about 20% so 80 out of 100 people used to flunk in the 10th board exam okay uh, i was <laughs> i was a top student uh, and uh, the uniform in the school because it is in a poor in a village with people from really vulnerable backgrounds the uniform was white shirt and dhoti Hmm. and uh, chapels if you could afford it and about 70% of the people didn't even wear chapels to school right so they came barefoot the language of teaching was all malayalam so i was taught malayalam i mean i was taught uh, uh, physics chemistry biology mathematics history geography everything in malayalam even english was taught in malayalam as i keep saying you know so uh, when you study in a background like that and then your parents don't even give you tuition because they think that you need to be self-reliant, it actually builds self-reliance in yourself. Because I didn't have any crutches, I had to be great by myself. And that actually managed to get me into IIT with a you know, terrific rank, 129 uh, in JE, All India rank of 129, which is quite amazing actually. So uh, I was... I was uh, one of the three people who got into IIT from Kerala that year. And uh, uh, I don't think it would have been possible if I had not come from such a difficult situation. Uh, uh, in IIT, of course, I sort of completely squandered away the entire great things that has happened to me by becoming very spiritual. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, my, what's your favorite spirit, by the way? Mine was old Mankram. <laughs> that's a secret i can't say it out loud okay. uh, my parents will watch this anyway. oh, oh, oh. my parents don't mind <laughs> now that i'm 53 yeah. so so anyway so uh that spirituality got me in trouble so i nearly mm. flunked out of iit again right, right. you know going through such an incredibly tough situation so early in life uh where i was put through literally a crucible experience where I was nearly thrown out of IIT. All the great, you know, everybody in my district was talking about me. My relatives are all so proud of me. And to have been thrown out of IIT in a situation like that, I was contemplating suicide quite a few times. Mm. But then I actually spoke to my parents, uh, the people who really love me most. I told them everything about what is happening, including which was my favorite spirit. and uh, And they sort of, handheld me through that entire journey. They came to IIT, stayed for a month and uh, helped me uh, in turning my life around. And then I graduated from IIT in five years instead of four. Uh, of course, at the end of those five years, I had almost zero fundas in electronics, which was my subject. We took mm. electronics, I got a degree, but fundas in electronics, I had zero. So I decided to hit out at uh, in a different direction. So I went into management, uh, got my MBA from XLRI, which is another great premier institute, had a great job to, from campus. And the next 10 years, my career really took off like a rocket. So by the end of 10 years, I was uh, one of the youngest, or I think the youngest chief operating officer in the telecom industry in the country. I was CEO for Airtel, Tamil Nadu and Kerala. And I thought I had arrived in life, right? Uh, I was highly driven, highly ambitious. I wanted to be the 
CEO of a global CEO of a fortune founder company by the age of 45. And that seemed very much within my grasp. And then life just went into a tailspin. Started with a slight tremor in my fingers, uh, lack of balance, and met a couple of doctors. They said, maybe it is work stress. And so be a little less stressed out. I started you know, going to the gym to work out to make myself fitter. And the condition started getting worse. Over the next seven years, it inexorably, it became worse and worse and worse. Till at the age of 41, I had a fever and the fever spiked the condition and I was completely paralyzed. I could not move my hands or legs, my arms, my legs, my uh, feet, my hands, not even one millimeter. I was completely paralyzed. I couldn't keep my eyelids open because the eyelids would keep drooping by themselves and I had no control over it. I couldn't speak. Uh, and I was wheeled into the hospital and then the actual diagnosis happened. It was an autoimmune condition. So the immune system is attacking my body, my own immune system. A bunch of morons were supposed to protect me from germs coming into the body. <laughs> they are like happily going around and, you know, shooting my nerves down. And because of that, there was no impulses going from the brain to the different parts of the body. And that had led to major wastage of muscles. So I lost a lot of my fine motor muscles at that time. So fine motor muscles are specifically the muscles in your fingers, uh, your palms. And when you lose them, your ability to articulate your fingers become much lower. Uh, your balance depends on constant communication between the joints and the brain. And when the nerves become weak, the balance becomes tough. So for me, I was constantly feeling like I was walking on cotton, constantly mm -hmm. swaying back and forth. Or I've, after having a couple of pegs of, uh, not a couple of, couple of bottles of <laughs> old monk, you know. So it is so tough. Uh, well, luckily the new uh, medication started helping. Uh, the doctors put me on something called IVIG, which is 36 bottles of intravenous fluid, which was pumped into my body. At the end of six days, I was feeling better. At the end of one more week, I was feeling on top of the world. The whole condition was gone. And I was thinking, wow, now I can go back to becoming Fortune 500 CEO at age of 45. I could actually, for the first time, cook pizzas for my children. I, you know, I actually cut chopped onions and uh, tomato and cheese, grated cheese and put the tomato base and made for them. I could play cricket with them. The kids were at that time, maybe 10 and 7 or something like that, right? Right. And it was so nice, actually. You know, I could run up nine floors to my office, which, you know, I could not even climb three steps before that. And I thought, wow, this is like magic portion, you know. I've fallen into the magic portion. I've come out fully kicking and in mm. fully in action. And then in 45 days, the condition completely came back. And I was devastated. And I went back to the hospital. I was wheeled back to the hospital, in fact. And the doctor then told me that, oh, this medication doesn't last forever. But typically for most people, it lasts for three to six months. In your condition, it looks like 45 days. So I had to take one more dosage of the same damn thing. Guess what is the cost of that one dose? Huh? 
Six days dose. Give, give me a weird number. Uh, I'm going to guess <laughs> around 65. <laughs> it was 6 lakh rupees. Okay. <laughs> so that six days dose was 6 lakh rupees. And to take that every two months was out of the question, right? I, yeah. I was earning well, but not that well, right? Mm. So I had to be put on steroids, which is, uh, which is, which also does this suppression of immune system. But steroids have very, very bad side effects. So I was on all the way up to, you know, started with 30 milligrams a day, 40, 50, 60. Finally, it went up to 80 milligrams a day. And I put on 16 kilos of weight in about five months. I bloated up like one balloon, actually. Uh, I still have stretch marks on my tummy because of that. Like, a, you know, what happens to pregnant women, the same thing happened to my tummy. Right? Uh, I would still keep tripping and falling. It was not, I mean, it was sort of shaving off the condition a little bit, but not really curing me. And I had uh, my lenses in the eye, they became opaque because steroids deposit some kind of a, some deposit on the eye lenses. So I had to have cataract operation for both eyes. Uh, in spite of this, you know, the condition was still there and life was hell actually. So uh, I had to travel. I was uh, director of operations with a multinational at that time. I had to travel extensively. Every time I travel and stay in a hotel, uh, I had to get up at some five o'clock in the morning to attend an eight o'clock meeting because it would take me 90 minutes to put on the buttons of my shirt. My fingers would be shaking uncontrollably. Uh, I couldn't hold the button in my hand. If I could hold the button for some time, uh, the holding the button hold next to the button was impossible because both hands would be shaking. Mm. Every two minutes I had to drop my hands because my biceps didn't have the strength to hold up my hands. Sometimes I had to lie on the bed to put on the buttons. Worst was when I go to the urinal, I, my fingers didn't have this sensitivity to find the zip in my pants. And even if they could find it, it didn't have the strength to pull them down. So I would sometimes wait for five to 10 minutes in the urinal just because I couldn't find or pull down the zip. So it was living hell actually. But that's when the coping mechanism started kicking in, right? I realized that I have to play to my one of my big strengths, which is my sense of humor. So I would make it a point that any room I walk into, I would make the room feel more cheerful. The happiness quotient of the room had to increase when I am in the room, right? right. <laughs> so, so I would I would go in with a happiness measuring machine <laughs> and crack a stupid joke, and then right. you no know, people. Mostly at my own expense and people would laugh and everybody would laugh. The atmosphere becomes lighter. I would feel more pumped up. And right. when I feel more charged up, I would pass on more positivity around and then it reflects back on me. So it's always a virtuous cycle, right? The ha more happy you are, the more happy others are around and then you become, you can absorb that back. At home, I would tell weird and funny tales to my kids. You know, I was very good at spinning weird tales. I've had them sitting for one hour, open mouth, listening to my stories about how the devil came to Alapi to eat Alapino peppers on their pizza and things like that. <laughs> and how suddenly there are a bunch of pigs who came. So all kinds of weird things, right? And, uh, this, you know, all these would actually make me feel charged up. And at work, I started taking on additional responsibilities because 
I felt that the more I was giving to the organization, more I was adding value to people around me, the more confident I got, the better I felt. And so I took on additional responsibilities. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, that was a time, uh, you know, every Monday I would look forward to getting to office. And I would actually, once I put up a Facebook post saying, looking forward to another great week at work, yoo And I came to the office and the first call I got was from my boss in Singapore telling me I'm being sacked. So here I was. Uh, annual medical bills of 20 lakhs. Two kids going to school. Barely able to walk. I could definitely not go and go out and attend an interview and get a job. And I was being sacked. And I was giving 110% of myself to my job. So... Um... Just to clarify as well, uh, what is the name of the condition? The condition is called CIDP. It's chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. Hmm. You know, I don't know right. simple things in life. Huh? I'm a very complex. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, um, and when, and so when, when you got the call, was there a, I mean, was there a reason that they gave you or? Yeah, I was aware that there was an issue in the organization. Uh, I had joined that organization about six months uh, into the organization when we discovered that there was a serious um, process gap, which put the company at risk in uh, a part of the organization I was heading. And that issue has been, it's an integrity issue. It had been going on for about eight years before I joined. Mm. So I was the one who sort of helped figure this out and then flag it to the organization. And there was investigations done, process gaps tightened and things like that. And unfortunately, then they had to make an example of uh, this kind of things. Mm. They had to make an example. So they had to sack the senior most person in the organization because there were risks to the organization. They had to show that action has been taken. Right. So I was the one holding the can and I got sacked. So it is an incredibly unfair situation. Yeah. Right. But well, um, so, I mean, that's again, when the coping mechanism really helped, right. I, uh, I went home that day. I remember my wife picked me up from the, from the office because I called her up and I cried actually. I cried for about five mm. minutes. I called her up and said, baby, they're sacking me. So she came and picked me up and, she knows about five, six languages. And in all the languages, she must have given the choicest of galis to the <laughs> organization for where, what they were doing to me. But we reached home and for about three hours, I was, I was absolutely devastated. And all these things were going in my mind, right? I mean, what would people say? Where do we find the money to educate our kids? Of course, my wife was working in a great company, so that was an advantage. Uh, but I knew that I would not be able to find another job. But at the end of three hours, I knew that what I had to do was play to my strengths. And my strengths were, had fantastic knowledge about end-to-end business processes. I had held the role of a general manager uh, in Airtel, general manager as in general managerial role of handling every function. So that kind of ability, very few people have. And I knew that I'm good at, you know, working with people, collaboration, etc. So 
I, I played to my strength. I reached out to a lot of startups and said that I'm available to be a consultant. And by the end of the day, I had two jobs in hand. Where I had, okay. I would never get a job. I had actually two jobs in hand. <laughs> Some kind of silver lining, at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, if you'll just excuse me, I'm going to take a second to recover from your story. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a lot of very intense experiences back to back. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've talked in, uh, let's say, in brief about some of those coping mechanisms, including using humor. Uh, but do you feel like to a certain extent, those experiences, the coping mechanisms that allow you to deal with them, that it's sort of a chicken and egg situation? You know, is it hard to determine? Do, did those events make you more resilient or were you resilient enough to overcome those events? So this is where I, you know, what I talk about neuroplasticity, uh, it is what you practice on a daily basis, which gets strengthened. I was lucky, I think, that some of the things I did were the right steps in the beginning. And I think, mm. uh, and as I said, some of the things that helped us going through that crucible experience when I was in IIT. Yeah. Uh, and that helped me pick up myself from a very tough situation. So when I was hit with this, I could draw upon some of those and I reached out to people who love me, right? So <clears throat> I reached out to friends uh, who were running startups. So they are the ones who uh, offered this role to me, these roles to me. Then uh, I figured out that I need to play to my strengths. So that again helped uh, because I knew that these were my strengths. I could leverage those strengths and people would value those strengths. The biggest one was to actually reduce the time it takes for you to accept that you are in the deep, <laughs> deep in whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me, because I had gone through tough times earlier and I was a solution oriented guy, right? I mean, and again, sitting in a small village, cracking IITJ, maybe might have helped me in terms of becoming solution oriented. So I started always look for, looking for solutions. So when this happened, rather than completely losing it and then saying, why did this happen to me? Oh God, and cursing everybody and their grandmother. I started just wondering, how can I pull myself out of this? That's the only thing that really matters, right? Yeah. There's no point thinking of blaming others and cursing people. And those will actually, you know, some uh, very nice friend, good friend of mine once told me, uh, keeping anger and resentment within you is like drinking poison and hoping the other guy dies. <laughs> right? <laughs> the only person it will hurt is yourself, actually. Yeah, yeah. So keep those things out and just focus on solution and take those steps towards positive action. So the shorten, if you shorten the cycle of uh, acceptance and then figuring out solution, uh, so denial ha happens first, surprise and shock happens, then slowly acceptance, and then acceptance will lead to solution orientation, and then you find solution. That's yeah. actually if you can crunch down to a few minutes or one or two days. Uh, one or two days, I wouldn't advise. Actually, you should just do this entire thing in about a couple of hours. Maximum. You can do that, then your mind is always positive. So that helped, and sense of humor was, of course, always part and parcel of sure. the thing. Uh, right, right. PG Water has helped 
No, so I don't know <laughs> your generation reads PG Woodhouse. Does do you? I, I I've read PG Woodhouse, huh. but uh, I don't know. I can't speak for the generation. <laughs> okay, so so you know, being exposed to humorous things in life helps you also then focus on humor in any situation, especially by making fun of yourself at times. It's yeah. it's ridiculous to make fun of others, but you can make fun of yourself as much as you want, right? Nobody is going to be hurt. So you do that and make people laugh, and that that helps actually. Right. Um, right. Then the other one was uh, eagerness to learn new things. And this is again something which you can practice and become better and better at. So I was always very eager to learn new things. So when I got sacked from this job, and I had to completely stand on my feet and figure out how to build my life again, I could learn things, right? I mean, that's what finally helped me become an author, a motivational speaker, uh, somebody who's now touched millions of lives positively. Uh, in every uh, way, I've managed to learn and become better. In fact, uh, I, I don't know if you know, last couple of years, I, I mean, I've been consulting with Azim Premji Foundation for the last 10 years because of my love for science. I was editing a science magazine for school teachers, which was published from the university, Azim Premji University. When the pandemic struck two years back, the Azim Premji Foundation wanted to get into pandemic response across the country, helping the government system cope with the pandemic. Uh, and because we have great strength in terms of people in many of these rural districts, we could actually do a great job. So I was then selected to be leading the strategy for the foundation for pandemic healthcare. So what testing to do? What is the kind of uh, test kits which are the best? What kind of laboratory needs to be set up for doing testing for COVID? What is the best uh, treatment for COVID? How do you train up uh, field health workers to cope with COVID in their communities? How do you train up uh, frontline doctors? Uh, and uh, what kind of equipment is required in the ICU? I had to learn each of these things. And it was such an amazing feeling learning so much from so many doctors and scientists around the place, you know. So there it helped actually the fact that I had great ability to connect with people. That helped in building relationships. And the humility yeah. to say, I don't know a damn thing. Please tell me everything. Uh, that helped. And the ability to then absorb it and put it in simple words. Now, my science magazine editor, Funda, came to the fore because I could take a lot of this information from scientists, putting into nice, simple words and relate, uh, connect it to the rest of the organization. So I was able to do a lot of these things, leveraging my ability to learn. And uh, the other thing is uh, ask for help. Um, I have learned over a period of time that when you're in trouble, don't fight it yourself. You know, just reach out to people who you love, ask for help. They will invariably help you. And if there are some people who don't help you, it's okay. I mean, just leave it, move on. Their priorities may be different. Your priorities may be different. It's fine. So each of these things came to the rescue, actually. I mean, it sounds like you had a lot of different abilities that allowed you to cope with the situation. Mm -hmm. uh, what I'm wondering is, you know, is there a, I mean, you know, it's a very common thing that is said that failure or at least disappointment to some extent is important to feel at a loss 
is perhaps even a part of building yourself, growing, uh, developing some sort of traits or attributes that are probably good for you in the long run. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about it recently. You know, when you talk about writing and when you look at English literature, you know, as far back as even ancient Greek literature, when they talk about the hero's journey or the 12 steps that is incorporated into every story and now, I mean, is incorporated into every movie or book, there is always a moment where the protagonist or the hero will undoubtedly fail. They will, they will have a moment of, you know, absolute yeah. devastation. And it is only in those moments that the story actually exists. I mean, without that moment, you wouldn't watch the movie. So, you know, I, I think that maybe there is, I mean, I, I would hope that it, it I mean, what, what some of the stuff you're talking about, I am hoping doesn't happen. Uh, but, but, but I mean, I, I, I just think that it is, maybe there is a part of life that everyone has to experience where they do have a moment of, of, you know, loss. And, and those things are relative, you know, for, for every different person, it'll be different. But, uh, I mean, do you feel like that? Do you feel like you're, you're a better person now for it? hundred percent. I mean, I have, I have become a far, far better person than I was thanks to the repeated setbacks that I've had. And I mean, these, many of these setbacks I'm talking about now are beyond my control, but there are setbacks, which I have created with myself also, right? Like a moron. <laughs> I mean, like what happened in IIT, for example, Yeah. getting too spiritual yeah. and like that in yeah, yeah. life also, I've done some big blunders in life. Yeah. And I have then faced the wrath of the organization. I've had to, I uh, have to do things uh, to to mend the the complete mess I have created. So each of these failures actually help you. Number one, it makes you realize that it is okay to fail. It's yeah. okay to set, have setbacks. Everybody in their life will have setbacks. So you become more empathetic towards people who have setbacks. You accept them, you yeah. then you try and help them rather than be judgmental. Number two is you develop a lot of coping mechanism during the setbacks, which will then make you a wonderful person later on in life. Yeah. Basically, I'm saying yeah. I'm a wonderful person, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, you know, when we were we were discussing, you know, the topic for yeah. today, I actually uh, was was trying to sit down and think about, you know, the the difficulties I've had in my life. And um, I got to say, there hasn't been all that many. I, I, I consider myself pretty lucky overall. I mean, I think, you know, other than a couple of mistakes I've made here and there, um, I think people have been extremely generous and patient with me. <laughs> uh, to, I mean, I don't think I, I, I would necessarily be as patient as some people have been with me. But, you know, when I think about... Uh, difficulty or you know seeing those moments I always relate it back to teaching and uh, you know especially when you're a child or a teenager particularly you know I, I always say that you know around 12 to 14 15 is when you see a lot of rapid growth in an individual you know they, they form a personality basically yeah. Yeah. and uh, during that time is also when they are the most conscious and at least on average less likely to bounce back from failure because as a kid you know tomorrow's a new day they can be appeased a lot easier you know you can say you know okay you had a bad run let's get some ice cream 
it's sorted. You know, they feel better and, and, and they can, they're willing even to try again most of the time. Yeah. But a teenager suddenly has developed a little bit of consciousness, which even, you know, adults have. I have. All, all of us to a certain extent have. Correct. And I think what ends up happening a lot is the, during that time, because they develop so much consciousness of themselves and their parents and peers also feel that consciousness, they will actually try to a certain extent to steer them away from activities and opportunities that might result in failure or at least have a chance of that happening. You know, they might try to steer them away from, let's say, riskier things, and then you become risk averse as a grown up as well. And, you know, when you're talking about resilience and you're talking about those things, something that I would constantly say to parents, you know, let's say they've done a, I used to teach Trinity, so they, let's say they, they, they've done a Trinity exam. And I'd say the Trinity drama exam is, is quite a difficult exam. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can do really well and not score that high. And also a part of, let's say, Indian culture is also, you know, there's a demand of what is considered a great mark, okay, yeah. which, you know, is it's a ridiculously high mark or it's nothing at all. Yes. And, um, and in that, what ends up happening to that child then is that they learn this behavior of, oh, I failed. And the response the rest of the world has is then, you know, so try not to do that thing again. You know, sometimes what would end up happening is parents would pull out their children from doing drama or things like that because they just thought, okay, that's not one of the things that this person is good at anymore. But the parents who let their child stay in, who take that exam again and again and again or continue to go up on stage, those are the people who are resilient, who are able to come back stronger and, and who are more willing to analyze themselves, look at what their weaknesses are, and, you know, like you were saying, uh, that's that 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 growth factor is really the best thing you can get out of uh, out of failure. Yep. Um, and yeah, I, I just think it's a little silly. I went on yes, a little bit of right, no? so, <laughs> uh, What happens actually to many children is that they're overprotected by their parents. Yeah. And hence, they never face a failure in their lives. Yeah. Till suddenly one big failure hits them and they just say clam up and they become completely uncommunicative and they don't know what to do. So it's okay to let your kids fail. In fact, you should push them out of their comfort zone so that once in a while they fail and then they can learn coping mechanisms themselves. And parents' role is to, is to facilitate the learning, not to micromanage, not to spoon, spoon feed. So even in the situation that you talked about, right, where uh, you fail in the Trinity exam, uh, the most important thing is, is the kid actually interested in the in learning, right? If they are interested in learning, what parents can do is to <clears throat> ensure that when they fail, if they fail, to make them feel the ownership to learn again and come back and be resilient, rather than push them again to go and uh, and write the test or not write the test, right? I mean, to take the test, parents should actually just make them feel that they own their destiny. And yeah. the child should be the one who should then have the sense of purpose to go and try it again. And that's one thing I say, you know, one of the key ingredients of resilience is a sense of purpose. You should set lofty goals for yourself and then try and achieve those goals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, 
Uh, another thing I was thinking, so when you say lofty goals, for example, uh, do you recommend that a person should set goals uh, in sort of like, let's say, short minute steps leading to a, that eventual lofty goal? Yeah, so uh, it's always important to break down your large goal into strategies and strategies into mid- medium term and short term specific milestones. And then try achieving each of those milestones. Uh, once you achieve the early milestones, which are maybe easier milestones, then you will actually be uh, hypnotizing yourself into thinking that you are successful, you are great, and your confidence level increase. So the next step, which is slightly larger, you'll be able to take e- even more easily. And then yeah. the next one and the next one. So yeah. I always say set daily targets, start small keep building it up to becoming more and more stretch and ensure that you achieve the, at least the first three, four weeks, every day's target you should achieve. So it should be easy enough to do that and stretching yourself a little bit at each day. And then you'll be programming your mind to be an achiever. All right. Um, so since we're talking about programming those ideas, what are some daily practices or certain, uh, key insights you have into helping build those sort of attributes? Yeah. So, you know, the the key attributes of resilience are one is happiness. Happiness gives you resilience. And obviously, resilient is being happy through the journey. Then self-confidence and self-belief. That's really critical. Uh, End-to-end ownership and also ability to learn as well as network with lots of others and get support from them, right? Each of these is important for resilience. So what are the things that you can do on a daily basis to make that happen? Uh, First thing is, um, and I think we had earlier talked about gratitude, a few practices for building gratitude. So helping as many people as possible on one side, as well as thanking as many people as uh, possible on a regular basis. That'll build gratitude and compassion in yourself, which will give way to happiness, right? Uh, The second one is for self-confidence. Uh, think of things you have achieved on a regular basis, right? Uh, uh, every day, maybe you can spend five minutes thinking about some of the tough things you have done in life well, or some of the things you have achieved in life. And then tell yourself that you're awesome. Right? The more you tell yourself you're awesome, the more confident you get, the more resilient you get. Uh, when somebody asks me, how are you? I always say I'm awesome. And each time I say that, and for the, in the last 10 years, I must have said, this particular thing, I'm awesome, maybe three times a day for the last 10 years. That's about 10,000 times I've told myself that I'm awesome. Obviously, I think I'm awesome now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Program myself to think I'm awesome. The next one is uh, uh, try and learn something new every day. I mean, so pick up something, a new skill, new talent, new language, whatever, right? Uh, which you want to focus on for the next three months or one month, whatever. And then every day, try to learn something for that. Uh, and your mind then becomes accustomed to learning new things. And then creating a network of support. Uh, reach out to people and offer help. Uh, you don't wait for them to come and ask you for help. Proactively look for people you can help and help them as much as possible. Each time you do that, you are increasing your network of support. And that's where you will have to reach out to 
when you need help. Not only that, the more people you support, the more you realize that you are part of this society where we are all interconnected. We are all here to support each other. And that knowledge will make it easier for you to ask for help from somebody else also. Uh, you don't feel ashamed of asking for help because that's what people are supposed to do for each other. Right? So these are the daily things that you can do to become resilient. And of course, uh, smile a lot. Right? I mean, everybody you meet, you give a nice broad smile. And the happiness you get when you smile at a stranger and they acknowledge it back is somebody said, you know, it's equivalent to the happiness you get eating 15 hamburgers. Yeah, so these are the daily practices. All right, that's great. And uh, I think one last thing is now what? Going forward, what are you going to do? You've been through a lot. So I'm sure that you're aiming at a certain direction now. And what are those things? Yeah, so so fate always continues to throw challenges at me. So I've had a, a condition called uh, avascular necrosis because of the steroids I've had. So basically, my bones, the hip bones are dying from within, actually. I've had to, I've been told that I need to do, replace my hips. Uh, well, I have found alternate treatments. I've gone through that. And I've shaved off the need for replacing my replacing hips. Them, yeah. uh, I've had maybe 50 falls in the last 10 years. I've fractured 10 bones. The so life has been full of challenges still. Yeah. But, you know, what? the one thing I've learned is that in these last so many years, I've learned so much from so many people. Wisdom has come to me finally. Well, I'm not saying that I'm the wisest guy and all, but I know so. <laughs> I have some wisdom. Now, it's time for me to impart it to others, help people, young people, and become more successful in life. So, aim is to touch now one crore life possibly, positively, not one million anymore, because one million has already happened thanks to my COVID work and the fact that my life story is a chapter in a textbook for students. So I'm already touching millions of lives positively. Now I need to make it to 10 million lives positively. And that's the target. So I want the next 25 years of my life or whatever is left of it, I don't know which one is longer, <laughs> to be the most productive in my life. I want to deliver so much to as many people so that the world actually sits up and says, oh, hey, we are glad that this guy was alive. You know, I, I want to uh, make an end in the world, actually, right? Uh, right. A positive end in the world. I have to say, Ramji, I think you're the, the definition of the quote. Uh, how does it go? Don't ask for an easy life. Ask for the strength to handle a difficult one. I think you should get that tattooed somewhere. That's a lovely one. Huh? I must now start <laughs> putting this in my all my talks. That's a yeah, beautiful yeah. one. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, now, I am a little confused. It might have been a Bible verse or Bruce Lee. It's one of those two. Either way. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway so that's how resilience is and i hope uh, the audience has picked up enough about it to stay become the most positive people they have met in their lives till they meet <laughs> me of course but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey if you haven't already done so check out the first episode of the be boundless podcast and if you liked what you heard subscribe for future updates and more episodes